one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I hope you got all that and you understood it all. But if, like me, when you read it for the first time, you thought, what am I doing with this passage? Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, we just pray that you would come and help us this morning. Lord, help us understand your word. Lord, we know it's all profitable and all good for us, Lord. And we just pray that as we look at this, you'd help our brains to understand it and our hearts to be warmed by your word. Lord Jesus, will you help me with this passage? Lord, will you help us to become more and more like you? Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, I hope you're looking forward to this after having read it and that you're feeling very clear about it. Do you know, I, uh, when I got to this passage, I looked at it and my first thought was, thanks a lot, Steve. <laughs> and then I realised... Actually, what Steve did when he asked me to preach, he gave me an option of two two passages. And the fool that I am, I chose this one. So actually, it's my fault that I've ended up with this one here and all the complexity of it. Uh, John Piper, who some of you may know, uh, a great Bible teacher from the US and a theologian, states this, that Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, is the most difficult passage to understand in Romans. Thanks. Okay, so we'll be ready for a bit of a challenge, okay? Ready to get our brains going, ready to think about it, and I will endeavour to help us understand it and maybe have some fun doing it, yes? So I'll need your your participation at some stage and your help with me uh, to go through it. I'm going to just read a story first of all, and this story has elements that go through the whole of the understanding of this passage. It comes from a book that I thoroughly recommend to you on my second reading of it. It's from Philip Yancey's What's So Amazing About Grace. Amazing book. And he says this story about a friend of him called George. He says, I have a friend whose marriage has gone through tumultuous times. One night, George passed a breaking point. He pounded on the table and the floor. I hate you, he screamed at his wife. I won't take it anymore. I've had enough. I won't go on. I won't let it happen. No, no, no. Now, of course, I know in our marriages here, we're very calm. And we never disagree with each other. And we've never said anything that we wish we hadn't. Several months later, my friend woke in the middle of the night and heard strange sounds coming from the room where his two-year-old slept. He padded down the hall and stood for a moment outside his son's door. Shivers ran through his flesh. He could not draw breath. In a soft voice, the two-year-old was repeating word for word, with precise inflection, the argument between his mother and father. I hate you. I won't take it anymore. No, no, no. George realised that in some awful way, 
he had just bequeathed this pain and anger and unforgiveness to the next generation. It's quite a story, isn't it? It kind of hits you a bit. And there's two things, two elements there that I want to talk about. First of all, there are times as Christians we do what we shouldn't do, don't we? We get angry in an unrighteous way. We are negative. We are passive. We do the things that actually, once we've been amazingly saved by Jesus, we kind of thought we'd have the strength and the power not to do with the Holy Spirit inside us. Maybe we look at something on the internet we shouldn't do. Maybe we walk a path that we shouldn't do. And we know that we do that. We know somehow that even as Christians we do that. And I'm sure this father thought that when he heard that. And the other thing as parents, and maybe it's just me, but we worry sometimes that our weaknesses, our sins, if you like, we pass on, don't we? Because there are patterns and we worry about that. And those two elements run through, I think, this passage. They help, this passage helps us to understand that and also how to overcome. Because we are not those, are we, that say, oh, it's one. we're going to be like that for the rest of my life. That's life. I'm, I'm always negative. I'm always passive. always going to be like that. No, we are more than conquerors in Jesus. And we do not believe that Jesus leaves us the same as when he first met us in that first day. So... In order to get there, we're going to have to go quite deep. So are you ready for this? Okay, so have I got my my next uh, slide up? This is taken from uh, a a theologian called Douglas Moo in his commentary on Romans. And he picks out a structure to this passage that I find really helpful in order to help us understand it. And actually, this structure is the reason why I've used the New International Version rather than the English Standard Version that most of us perhaps would use to preach. And the reason for that is because in this passage, there are just as, so also phrases. Just as, so also. The just as talks about Adam, the sin of Adam. The so also talks about Jesus Christ and the victory on the cross. So we're going to look at these. We're going to have just as Adam sinned, just as Adam took the the apple in the garden, the understanding of, of good and evil, whatever that was, what happened there, that sin there, but so also Jesus Christ on the cross brought the victory for us. So, I'm not going to start for the first one, because whenever you provide a structure, there's something that doesn't quite work, is it? So, let's start with verse 18. Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. So, that one sin in Adam resulted in condemnation for all people. That's what it says. So, also, the end of the verse says, so also, one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Justification, being made right with God, that our sins are completely forgiven and we are now right before him. Verse 19, for just as through the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners. Then we have so also. 
the Jesus part. So also, through the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. Many will have access to Jesus. Many will have their sins forgiven. Many will have access to the throne of God. Verse 21, just as sin reigned in death, that death that came in through Adam. Second part, so also, the good news, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there is a parallel here all the way through. It's almost like the passage, as well as all sorts of other difficult theological issues. It's dealing with one parallel idea. That just as and so also. Now, of course, when we look at verse 12, going back to it, it says, just as sin and death came via one man, i.e. Adam. And it doesn't have a so also. Not everything's neat and tidy, is it? When Paul was writing this, it obviously didn't tie up that end. But it is a focus here on Adam. Why? Why do we have to have this? Because you see, Romans is so great, isn't it? We're talking about justification by faith. We're talking about through grace, by faith, we get to know God, don't we? That we are saved. We've got these glorious truths and then we bring in Adam. And this just seems to be slightly different. So I want to say this is in the context of the rest of Romans. Let me give you some of the context of the rest of Romans. So Romans 5 verses 1 to 2 says this. We can all say amen when we hear it. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's our personal faith in Jesus, we have peace through God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of glory. So this whole passage here, if you like, is in the context of us being justified, us being made right with God. But it talks about Adam and Jesus. How are we going to understand this? How are we going to understand this idea? And I think I picked it up earlier when I read the passage, that pattern of Adam and Jesus. The sin in Adam and the righteousness the victory that comes through Jesus. So, are you going to help me with a bit of understanding now? We're going to do it through maybe a slightly unusual means, which is looking at a dog. Can I have my chihuahua up, please? There we go. Here's my chihuahua. Pardon? Do you like it? Can anybody give me a description of this chihuahua? Maybe just one thing to say about this chihuahua. Large ears, okay. Big ears, yes. Small, okay. Can we forget about that one for a minute because it doesn't fit in what I'm trying to say. But you'll bring that one up later because it does fit in later. Okay, so it's got large ears. I tried to make it as big a picture as possible. Yes. Bulbous eyes. Bulbous eyes. Yeah, really kind of like dog eyes, isn't it? Any other description? Black and white. Yeah, they've got the colours. Black and white. There might be a bit of brown there as well. Okay. Isn't that how you spell Chihuahua? It was on the internet. He definitely said... (laughs) 
Right. Can you change that while I'm going on? Right. Oh. I'm a maths teacher, by the way, not an English teacher. Just in case you put that one on me. Lovely. Okay. So we've got a description of this little dog. <clears throat> Misspelt little dog. Okay. We've got a description of this dog. Okay. Now, can I have, if when we have the next one up, let's do, uh, let's, let's see how our description. Right. Forget about the word big. For the moment, if you wanted to describe the St. Bernard next to it, you could use most of the same ideas. The ears, it's got those big ears. You can't actually see it very well. It's got brown, it's got white. We'll say it's got a little bit of black on it. What else did we say? Eyes, you can see the eyes there, can't you? Ah, but he's strong. He's different, isn't it? But you could use a lot of the descriptive words we used about the chihuahua when you're talking about the St. Bernard. But there are some differences. You cannot tell me there's a parallel between them, isn't there? But they are very, they're both dogs. Probably if we looked into their DNA, it'd probably be quite similar. 99 whatever percent. But boy, are they different. There's the power, isn't it, of the St. Bernard. You've got the size of the St. Bernard. Come on, when you look at those in the road, you can't, there's no comparison, is there? Anything else about a St. Bernard? Fluffy. Fluffy. I don't know how that works. Fluffy. But also, isn't the St. Bernard the one that's supposed to go up into the mountains and save people? There's a sense that the Chihuahua is almost useless. But, and uselessly spelt, there's a sense in which the Chihuahua is almost useless, but there's a sense of purpose and salvation that comes with the St. Bernard. Now, let me see if I can come back to the passage and you're still with me. There is a sense in which this passage is trying to do a parallel, a pattern between Adam and Christ. But it doesn't mean they're equal. They might be similar in some ways, but there is not an equality between Adam and Christ. And this is, but there is a reason for doing it because, like the descriptive words, as we talk about Adam, we understand Jesus more. As we compare, do this comparison, it helps us understand the glory of Christ and actually our world in a slightly different way that maybe the rest of Romans doesn't emphasize. Okay. So, the similarities. You can see from the table I gave, sinners through Adam. Slight unfairness there, we'll come to that later. We're all sinners through Adam. And through Jesus, we're made righteous. Through Jesus Christ, we're made righteous. We can see the similarity, can't we? Sin came into the world, victory over sin. But the differences are immense. Those differences, even in the verses here, in this passage, the differences are immense. Uh, verse 18, the end of that, says it, uh, Jesus gives life to all people. It's not just justification. It's not just that one time when you were saved, it makes a difference. But actually, there's life in all its fullness that comes through Jesus Christ and his victory on the cross. Another one of these uh, verses is Romans 5, chapter 15. 
And that says, the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more, that's the size and the power, isn't it? How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? It's the overflowing of the grace of God that makes a difference in our life and others, doesn't it? Because it's an overflowing of that. Okay, so, are Adam and Christ equal and opposite? No. There's a similarity, there's a pattern, but there's a huge difference. Right. Now let's take another difficult question that comes from this passage. Why should Adam's sin affect me? Why should it affect me? It's Luke, isn't it? Yeah? Yes. Adam, sorry, your brother's Luke, you're Adam. I knew I was going to get it. Uh, Adam, if you get a detention for not doing your maths homework, is it my fault? No, it's not, is it? If he gets a detention, if he gets into trouble for something he hasn't done, that's his responsibility, not mine. Now, it might affect his parents because they might have to pick him up late from school, let's be honest. But that's his responsibility, not mine. What you've done wrong is not my problem. And what everybody here has done wrong is not my problem. It's what I've done wrong that's my problem. <laughs> or maybe it's Jesus' problem. So, coming back to the passage here, why does Adam's sin affect me? Why? It just seems so unfair, doesn't it? That somebody thousands of years ago, this one man who picked an apple, therefore I am affected by his sin. Does that seem fair? No. But there has to be a deeper understanding, which is what I'm trying to get to with this. So, please come, come with me as I try and go through this. Adam's guilt does rightly belong to us. The word Adam, of course, means man, doesn't it? Or human race. And there's a sense in which he represents the human race in terms of that sin. I'll come to what that element of sin means in a minute. Stay with me. Wayne Grudem, in his uh, systematic theology, a great uh, theologian, comments that, it's, that this sin is more helpfully called inherited sin rather than original sin. It's not something that happened once, miles away, but it's something that we inherit. We inherit the sin. Still seems like somebody else's fault to me. But let's see if we can uh, still go this. We inherit, if you like, a tendency towards sin. That's my way of understanding it. We inherit a propensity to sin, an an ability to sin that we don't quite understand. You see, I've been made righteous by Christ. I have been saved by him. I have his Holy Spirit in me. Therefore, I should be doing the works that Christ wants me to do. Even when it gets difficult, somehow I should be serving him in the right way, shouldn't I? But I don't so often. I let him down. And so do we all. We have that propensity, that tendency towards sin. That's what's coming in here. Let me look at it in another way. What are the sorts of things that we've seen on the news recently? When you look at the destruction in Syria, 
what one man is doing to another, you cannot tell me that within the human race there is not a propensity or a tendency towards horrendous sin, towards evil. If we're looking at other things that we see so often, let me take another example, Jim, Jimmy Savile. And his the horrendous abuse that went on. You know, he was a man who was allowed into children's homes because he was raising so much money. But he was there abusing that privilege and abusing girls all the way through. There is something rotten in the world, isn't there? There is something rotten, not just in the world, but in man. That tendency towards sin. This passage, if you like, helps us just to understand that a little bit. One of the things that uh, I think of quite often is North Korea. That's in the news quite a lot at the moment, isn't it? And I remember researching what happens to Christians in North Korea, and they tend to go to these big camps, like concentration camps. And the statement that really hit me was that in those camps, people don't tend to last a year of life. What evil is there in the world? that puts people in that position, that does that to another fellow man. There's a tendency, a propensity towards sin all the way through. And I can't, it gives, this passage gives me, if you like, an understanding of that as well. Right. And this is my final understanding of it that helps me a little bit and come with me on this. There is an unfairness that we inherit Adam's sin, is there not? As a group, we inherit Adam's sin. But there's also an unfairness that as a group, we inherit the righteousness of Christ. That's not right, is it? We didn't do anything, but we inherit that. We get that, and maybe inherit is the wrong way. We get that inheritance, that 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 thing from Christ that makes us alive with him we didn't do it but he died once for all of us it was a group thing wasn't it so there's a parallel there if you like that the unfairness that happens through that inherited sin is also the unfairness of Christ making us righteous and that's my best understanding it's not an easy passage looking at inherited or original sin it's not an easy idea but I hope that there's a sense of understanding that I've tried to come. Think of the chihuahua. Actually, don't think of the word chihuahua, just the picture of the chihuahua. Think of the picture of the chihuahua and the St. Bernard. Think of those two. Okay. What practical use, therefore, is this in our lives? That's what we've got to come to as, as, as preachers, as, as people who talk. How is this going to affect your life and my life in the weeks and months to come. How does that affect us? And this is my question. How do I overcome sin in my life as a Christian and enter into that abundance that God has for me, that fullness that God has for me? Let's be honest, we all have a tendency to sin. People have different weaknesses or different ways in which they do that. For some of us, it may be bursts of anger. For some of us, it may be negativity. For some of us, it could be all sorts of things. We have that tendency towards sin. How do we live the Christian life as best we possibly can, knowing that that's there in the background? I don't know if you've ever 
driven a car with a partly flat tire have you done that or maybe a car when the tracking's out it's you know usually if you have a car you take your your hands off the steering wheel it keeps going straight doesn't it but if you've got a flat tire it doesn't does it it does that and you pull it back and then it does that and you pull it back and the question is through jesus how do we pull it back how do we pull ourselves back how do we get the car in the state that it actually goes straight as much as possible how do we do that in our lives and i think that's a great question for small groups for our um, groups during the week isn't it to ask that how do i do it what's what's the way in which i keep myself on the right, right track in jesus i use the power and the victory that god has done in me to move forward i think that's I could like to leave it there. But I will give you one or two suggestions. These are my suggestions and my practical ideas for you. Number one, let us keep short accounts. So when we do get it wrong, as we will, let us know that we come to a God, a Father God, who forgives us. Instantly. And we come back to him. Let us keep those short accounts. Let's talk to him quickly about it. I've let you down. I know I shouldn't have said that, Lord. Lord, help me as I have my walk with you. Lord, I know I've had that argument with my wife. I know I've said that and I didn't mean it. Look, I'm really sorry. Help me to make it up and help me to walk forward in you. Number two. Praying daily and reading the Bible. It's those steps regularly that we do whether it's in the morning or whether it's at night, wherever it is that you put that in your schedule for the day, however busy you are, however difficult life is, that will become your rock and help you to take strength through Jesus. Number three, reading your type of Christian books. I have to be honest, I'm more of a mathematician than I am a reader, but I really try to read Christian books. I like to grasp certain people because I can get their mind and I can understand how they did life and what they did when life was difficult and how they achieved some of the momentous things they did achieve. I like testimonies of people like Richard Wormbrand in Romania and the amazing things he did in communist Romania, the, the, the amazing trials and victories he had. I like to read of some of the old missionaries to China, the Hudson Taylors, um, Isabel Kuhn, J.O. Fraser. I love to read those because they inspire me. And I love to read the books where they are honest with me about their victories and the things they struggle with. There are one or two people I like to read as well. Philip Yancey, I absolutely love because he is so honest about his failings. And he gives me such encouragement. So what is your type of Christian book? Because I think you should have one there. It doesn't mean you read pages and pages I know some people can read a book in a couple of days. I can't. But just reading that small part for somebody to encourage you. Number four, worship him. To put into your life an element of worship. For me, that is often praying in tongues. I might be going to work. I'm feeling frustrated about a work issue, knowing that I can quite easily get this one wrong if I get grumpy about it. And I'll just be there praying in tongues as I go, asking God by his spirit to encourage me, to 
to bless me, to make me strong, to help me to do the right thing, to help me to go in the right direction for him, to help me to be a Christian in that atmosphere, to do the very best I can do for him. Number five, learning scripture. Those small elements of scripture, and believe you me, it's easier when you're younger, isn't it? I find it more difficult now, but learning scripture so they come back to you at times of difficulty. Philippians 4 verse 13 says, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. What a great verse, isn't it? Particularly talking about these things that we sometimes struggle with. I can do all things. I don't have to be affected by the past, what my parents did, what I used to do. I can be a new man in Christ because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What a great verse to learn. It's not long, is it? And you can sit there and you can think about it and it comes back to your mind in times of difficulty or temptation. And this is another one that I uh, really felt God impress on me. So maybe it's particularly for one or two here. And the last one is just keeping busy. I don't know about you, but the times of my uh, greatest temptation are when life's quiet and I have a little bit too much time on my hands. Now, I don't often have that, but you will have patches in your life that are mad and busy and times that are quieter. And it's at those busy, those quiet times that uh, I just caution you in terms of um, just keeping yourself on track, reading your Bible more, praying more, worshipping more, learning scripture more. Um, It's interesting how different uh, translations of the Bible uh, write things differently. So Proverbs 16, verse 26 to 27 in the ESV says this, a worker's appetite works for him, a mouth urges him on. So that's the positive element of Proverbs. A worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. So the way Proverbs tends to work, it's a positive and a negative, isn't it? So you've got there a worker's appetite positive and a worthless man plots evil. Now, interestingly, verse 27 in the Living Bible, and I quite like this translation because it kind of gets the essence of this. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Idle lips are his mouthpiece. Cool, that says it a bit, doesn't it? I think with difficult passage of scripture, sometimes we just need to delve into it and then come out of it. And there will be elements of that. You'll go, I've got a big question about that. That's why you've got elders. Ask them, what does that mean? How does this work? But the sense of this passage, hopefully has come home to you just a little bit today in terms of that tendency, that propensity, just to sometimes go the other way. But I don't want to leave it there. I want to leave it with Jesus, our victorious King, the one who helps us in our weaknesses, the one who helps us to be victorious, the one who helps us to say no to the past. I have a future in Jesus. That's not what I'm going to be like. That's not what I'm going to pass on to my children. I want to be victorious in him and I know through the cross he is victorious let's just think a little bit about the Chihuahua and the St Bernard and how powerful our God is how he came to save us and how he loves us so intimately 
He knows when we get it wrong, but he loves us all the more. I don't know whether just to finish this, it might be just worth standing and praying together. Would you like to stand? Lord Jesus.